Good morning, church. It's good to be together today. Welcome to Antioch, Dallas. I know some of you had to brave the uh, 635 shutdown. Anybody have to brave the 635 shutdown? Okay, a few of us. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like uh, Zacchaeus, all right? He had to climb the tree. You just had to f- figure it out on your own. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, it's so good to see you. If you're joining with us online, worshiping with us online, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Jeremy. Uh, I'm the missions pastor here at the church. I'm filling in for Pastor Zach today because uh, they, his uh, third son, sorry, third child, had a surgery this week, and so uh, everything went well. Praise God for that. So he's taking time to tend to his family. So if you would just continue to keep them in your prayers um, as they are kind of walking through that. Man, it's been a crazy two weeks, has it not? I mean, to postpone church for two weeks in a row just because of snow, because of COVID stuff, it's been kind of wild. I mean, I know all across the board, uh, everyone's kind of endured different things. Some of you are without power or water, Um, but I just want to say, way to go, church, on rallying around one another and rallying around our community in this time. I mean, seriously, uh, I know that in our life groups, people were, were opening their homes to one another because people didn't have power, didn't have water. Uh, we had some, some significant issues where people had like damage to their homes or to their apartments where they had to completely move out. Um, and you guys rallied around. There's probably meal trains going, all sorts of stuff, water being distributed uh, in the community. So I just want to say way to go on behalf of our church and our church staff. Just so proud of you guys uh, for jumping in. So we are continuing today with our series called Sons and Daughters. If you can remember, it was only three weeks ago (laughs) that we kicked it off last time we were actually gathered. Pastor Johnny kicked off our series called Sons and Daughters, where we're studying through the book of Ephesians. And he talked about adoption, that we've been adopted in Christ or through Christ, uh, and we are children of God, sons and daughters. And that is uh, one of the core statements of our church that we say every week. We are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus. And so today we're going to continue with part two, and we are going to learn about our identity in Christ. All right, if you're excited to learn about your identity in Christ, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm excited. Okay. We got excited people. Uh, To kick us off, I'm going to take you back to my first day of college. Freshman year, okay, we got some college students in here. You know what I'm talking about. This is fresh on your memory. My freshman year, my first day of class, college, Abilene Christian University, it was a music history class. I don't know how I ended up with that being my first class, but I walk in, you know, nobody really knows anybody. Uh, Everybody's new. You sit down. It's like first day of school, but first day of college. So it just feels more like, what am I doing? Who am I? What is this going on? Who are these people? And so the first thing that happens when you go into a class is Roll call, that's right. Roll call, the teacher's gonna go through, the professor's gonna go through and just start naming everybody's names, calling out the names, and you say, I'm here. Or if you go by another name, right, that's when you say, oh, my name is actually uh, John. On the paper it says Juan, but I go by John or Johnny. That's what our pastor Johnny, okay. So So you correct the teacher in that way. So I was thinking, man, this is such a, a, a divine moment. 
okay? Because for me, a few months prior in the summer, as I was getting ready for college, I was going through some old photos with my dad of his family, okay? Actual photos. Uh, I won't give away my age, but at that time, you didn't scroll to find your old photos. You actually like, went through a box that had old photos in them. And so we're going through them, and there's, there's this photo of my dad and his brothers and sisters when they were, I think, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And uh, they're all there. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's, you know, Uncle Monty and uh, Aunt Jolaine and all this stuff. And, and then I flip around on the back, and it says, Monty, Jolaine, Marty, Londa, and Randy. And I said, Dad, who is Randy? Who's Randy? And, and he said, man, that's so crazy. I f- had forgotten. Your Uncle Paul, he used to go by the name Randy. That's his first name. And when he went to college, he changed it and started going by his other name, which was Paul. And so I was like, that's crazy. I mean, I was thinking like maybe they had a, another child and I have another uncle that I didn't know about. But Uncle Paul is actually Uncle Randy. Okay, when he was a kid, he changed his name to Paul uh, when he got to college. So I'm sitting there, first day of college, and I'm thinking, here's my chance. I can either go by Jeremy the rest of my life, or I can change it up, do something different, and redefine myself here in this very moment. I can just redefine myself. I can go by anything. And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and the teacher calls my name, and, and I'm just like, I'm here. And then the, the moment just passes right by to the next person with a W last name, and I thought, I'm going to be Jeremy for the rest of my life. <laughs> I hope I like this now. I'm going to be Jeremy for the rest of my life. I missed my moment to redefine myself. All kidding aside, right? Every day, we are faced with this question. Who am I? Every day. And how do you answer that question? How would you define yourself? You've been faced with that question already this morning. You're getting ready for church. You're driving here, talking with your kids, working with your kids. You have asked that question. You've thought about it subconsciously. Who am I? What defines you? What defines you? Turn to your neighbor and say, what defines you? Or ask them, what defines you? Okay? Question, is it your name? (laughs) Is it your name? Is it your age? Is it your marital status? Is it your job? Is it your work? Is it the color of your skin? Is it how you voted this past December or November? What, What defines you? That you're single or dating or married the job you work, the things that you're good at, the things that you like to do, your kids, how many kids you have, how they behave in public, does that define you? Okay, what defines you? How much money you have? Your number on the Enneagram maybe, right? Your personality type. What defines you? Seriously, friend, what defines you? You, maybe it was your last social media post or one of them, and you've been checking back for it to see how many likes because somehow in those likes, there's a definition being given to you, okay? What defines you? Who are you? 
Now, I know some of you have already thought of the churchy answer. <laughs> some of you, if we grow up in church, we've been, we, this isn't the first rodeo, okay? We've thought of the churchy answer. Oh, okay, so, uh, of course, I know. But let's be honest today. Let's be honest this morning. There is a tension between what you would say and go, oh, well, I know that, and what you operate by. Because, as Pastor Tim Keller says, if you pull up your emotions by the roots, you will find the roots clinging to an idol, Okay? And when you follow your emotions and what your mind is obsesses about and what you keep thinking about and what you keep going to and what you keep feeling in the moment, when you go back there, you're going to find what is defining you. Okay? So we want to align what, what we would say with how we function. Amen? All right. Now, some of us, maybe we've been defined by what we've done. That's, that's a, a place we go very easily by what we've done. And maybe for you, it's been a lot of sin. <laughs> maybe you've messed up a lot. You've made some bad decisions in your life. You've really wrecked up a relationship. You've really wrecked up uh, your parenting. You've really wrecked up at a job. You really blew it with your parent. Maybe it's something that you've done that is defining you. Maybe it's sin that you've committed or sin that you are stuck in right now that you're trying to get free from and it is defining you and you're allowing it to define you for others. Maybe it's all the good that you've done. You know, for me, I was like the good kid, all right? The behavior award winner every, you know, six weeks at school. I always got, you know, like, yeah, Jeremy, the good kid, all right? And, and that was something that was defining me. In fact, it defined me so much that one time when I was in the fourth grade, the one time I can remember ever getting in trouble in school, a teacher snapped at me and said, Jeremy, get in line. And I was so terrified, I actually peed my pants in that moment right there in the fourth grade. So I am not kidding. I am, I'm totally serious. Just boop, there it went. Okay? Because for me, I was being defined by, I'm the good kid, and I got in trouble, ah. okay? Maybe you're trying to be defined by your good morality. He's the good guy at work. Yeah, he's the guy, yeah, he's, the, man, he's the perfect girl. Perfect guy, perfect girl. I'm not even gonna go there, okay? How do you define yourself? Maybe for you, it's what someone else has said about you. All right, let's be real. Let's be real about how we function here. Your parent, a boss, a coach, a coworker, a spouse, a child, a friend, maybe your pastor. How have words maybe defined you? What someone else has said something about you. You know what? The media is actually trying to define you as well. It's saying a lot. I, I looked this up recently. The average American today faces 5,000 advertisements a day. That's the average American. That's up from uh, 2,500 to 3,000 in 2007. Today, you are going to face 5,000 messages trying to tell you something about you, trying to define you, trying to tell you what you are not or what you could be or what you should be, trying to shape a narrative of your life. 5,000 messages, boom. You drove here, billboard, 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 billboard. 
Now, I mean, used to, you could just drive down 635 and you'd see like six billboards. But now they're all like uh, virtual or what, what's the word? They're digital screens. So each billboard like got multiplied to five. It's like boom, 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 boom. Everything now, every app on your phone is like, you got to buy the ad-free version, right? I mean, it's everywhere. You're being told something about you. Someone's trying to define you. We even have this phrase now that's become very popular, to spin the narrative, to shape the narrative. There is an attempt to shape the narrative of your life. And maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was someone, or maybe it's messages coming at you 5,000 a day. And we haven't even started talking about the spiritual enemy. We haven't even started talking about the spiritual enemy yet that's a constant uh, attack on you. Lies of the enemy to shape and to define the narrative of your life, to get you to think things about yourself so that you will do and act a certain way. And let's be real. Many of us have bought into some of those lies. We've bought into some of those lies. What or who are you allowing to define you? This is such a, a critical issue. Please hear me. This is such a critical issue for those of us in this room and those uh, participating online. Because whatever or whoever you allow to define you will control you. I'm going to say it again. Whatever or whoever you allow to define you will control you. And what do, what do I mean by that? Who, whatever or whoever you allow to define your identity, it will control your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, your ideas, and ultimately your actions. Whatever or whoever you allow to define you will control you. Now, we're not the first to ever face this. This is not a, you know... 2021 issue. This is a human issue throughout all time. We're not the first to ever face this. In fact, there was a group of Christians uh, in first century in a city called Ephesus that faced this very same tension in their life. They faced this very same tension, the same challenge that you and I face. Now, Ephesus was located uh, in what for us would be modern day Turkey. Okay, modern day Turkey. Ephesus was an incredibly pagan city. It was actually the location of, uh, of the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians, one of the Greek goddesses, and it was the, the place where that temple resided. And that temple was massive. You didn't go to Ephesus without seeing it. It was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Hanging Gardens of Babylon, Pyramid of Giza, okay? And you have temple of Artemis of the Ephesians, incredibly pagan city. It was a cultural hub throughout Asia, okay? But it was known for its paganism. It was known for immorality, for sexuality. It was known for greed. The church in Ephesus, it was planted by the apostle Paul and some of his companions. And they came into Ephesus to plant this church to establish a people of God. And you can read about it in Acts 19 and Acts 20. It talks about that story. In fact, in Ephesus, Paul stayed for the longest amount of time of any of the places where he went and traveled planting churches. He stayed in Ephesus the longest. 
They needed a lot of work, okay? Three years in Ephesus. But God began to do a move in that city in the midst of a pagan place where thousands of messages are coming forth. The gospel went forth. You read about Acts 19 and 20. I already said, uh, God raised someone from the dead. In fact, Paul preached so long that someone fell asleep and fell out the window and died. I'm not going to preach that long today, okay? But someone was raised from the dead. All the people that were practicing witchcraft brought all of their books and burned them up. They didn't sell them on eBay. They didn't give them away. They got rid of them. They burned them up. 50,000 pieces of silver is what that was worth. Unbelievable. Some of the other things, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Demons were cast out. Persecution broke out. I already said a dead guy was raised. Leaders were raised. Churches began to be planted through Ephesus. And Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, became a powerhouse in the kingdom of God in the first century. They planted literally dozens of churches throughout Asia. It was a powerhouse. But years later, the Apostle Paul, in about 50 AD, writes this letter that we've been studying, that we're going to study today. He writes this letter to encourage them. Because friends, just like for, for you and for me, being a Christian in Ephesus is like being a Christian here. I mean, it literally, the image I get is like a tadpole trying to swim up the Hoover Dam. Seriously, like a small little fish trying to swim up the Hoover Dam. That's what it meant. It was going against the grain. And so he speaks this, this message. He gives them this message that we're going to read today. It's incredibly relevant for you and for I today because we're in the same situation. So we're going to dive in. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Are you ready? All right, let's go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This is what he says. He's reminding them. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." The point here is that the bad news is really bad. The bad news is really, really bad, and he's reminding them of it, and I want to remind you of it today. Because somehow we can get this idea, and this is where, where our culture is right now, is that everyone's mostly good. Everyone's mostly good. It's mostly okay. God just comes. Jesus just comes to kind of critique your life, just to coach you a little bit so you can be a little bit better. And that is not true. The bad news is really bad. Look at it again. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you want walked. You were not mostly good. You were not okay needed a little critique or a little coaching to get better we were dead we were children of wrath we deserve wrath we deserve punishment we deserve it we chose it that's what he's saying following the course of the world like Tim McGraw I like it I love it I want more of it that is where we were going we were following it we were chasing after it we wanted it Following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, that's the enemy. Following our own flesh, passions of the flesh here, desire of the body and mind. I don't need to go into that and what that means. Full tilt, sin, 
desire for sin. And because of it, it was bad news. And we have this idea in our culture called humanism, which means that man is mostly good and, and good, and we just need to tap into that goodness. And we don't need a savior. We don't need the supernatural God in our life. Or prog progressivism, you know, which is moves, we're just progressing towards a utopia. If everyone will just think alike and, and do all the good stuff, we, we can progress to this utopia. Religious nationalism, which, idol uh, which is a idolatry. Choosing, uh, uh, seeing politics as the answer for the human heart. It doesn't work. We're dead. And if you're not in Christ, you're spiritually dead. That's what it's talking about. It's not physical here, though it will be. It's spiritual death. Your spirit cannot commune with God's spirit. You cannot have fellowship. There is a chasm, as it says in Isaiah 59, verse 2. We were dead. We didn't need a little bit of God sprinkled on the top to make us better. We're dead. Without Christ. Dead. Done. And deserving of wrath. Verse 4. In the midst of that. In the midst of that scenario. But God. But God. Now, I was joking with my sons this week because we were reading this passage. I said, you boys, you know what that is right there? That's the biggest but in the Bible. <laughs> That's the biggest but in the Bible right there. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of our sinful choices, choosing the world, children of wrath, but God entered in. But God showed up. He showed up for you. He showed up for me. If there's been a but God moment in your life, someone stand up and say, thank you, Jesus. in the midst of our horrid situation, but God. The bad news is really, really bad. But as we're going to see, there's good news. And the good news is really good. There's gospel. It's better than our wildest dreams. It's really good. And so we're going to look at it verse by verse. Because God has something. When the lies of the enemy are coming, when you are being tempted to define yourself this way, but God has something different he wants you to know, okay? And so we're going to look at it line by line. The first is, but God being rich in mercy. And actually, I'm going to read this whole thing, and then we'll just go back to all of them, okay? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But God, being rich in mercy. Come on, help me preach, crew. I need it. Being rich in mercy, you know what that means? Is that you're defined by his mercy. 
that you're defined by his mercy. That's what verse four says. But God being rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? Is that you don't get what you do deserve. That's mercy. Everything you've chosen, the sin, all of that. We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. And all of sin falling short of the glory of God. Yet we get mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy. Another word for that is forgiveness. That your sin has been forgiven. As far as the east is from the west. When Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. But God, who's rich in mercy. We don't get what we do deserve. We're forgiven. We're defined by mercy. When the lie comes, oh yeah, remember what you did? Remember that? Remember that life you used to live? But God saying, no, you're defined by mercy now. You're defined by mercy. And if mercy, the mercy of God is defining you, what would it be like if your thoughts and your emotions and your actions began to be controlled and dominated by the mercy of God rather than your past? Next, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Friend, you're not only defined by mercy, you're defined by unconditional love. Unconditional. Conditional love. And what that means is that he initiated. You weren't mostly good. And God just kind of came in. Oh, okay, they're mostly good, so let's start with them. No. He initiated in love. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. Broken, lost, had nothing to offer him. I had nothing to offer him. He loved me. He said, that one, I'm coming. He loved me. I'm defined by his love. His love moved upon my dead heart when I had nothing to offer him. Friends, hear this. It's not because of anything that you did. You were dead. He loved you unconditionally. You're defined by the unconditional love of God. It's because of who he is, not because of what you did or who you are. It's because of who he is. He loved you. And like I say with my sons, my daughter, on a regular basis, we go through this. And I say, hey, Jaira, does daddy love you because you're a good baseball pitcher? No. Does daddy love you because you're good at school? No. Does daddy love you because you obey really good? No. Does daddy love you because you know a lot of the Bible? No. Why does dad love you? Because I'm your son. And then we say, who loves you most of all? God does. He chose us. He loves us because we belong to him, not because we have anything to offer him. Next. He says, we're made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him. That means you're defined by resurrection power. You are defined by resurrection power. 
Now, here's the deal. Those first two, I think everyone gets and everyone heard. Defined by mercy, God's unconditional love. Most Christians stop there. And you're missing out on the whole gospel because most just stop there at the foot of the cross. I'm forgiven. There's mercy. And I'm just going to hold on for dear life to the rest of my life and just try to make it and not sin, though I really kind of want to sin. But God loves me, and so I'm going to try not to. And you just hunker down and try to make it. And that's not the full gospel. Okay? Because look at this. Many Christians are just living forgiven by the cross, but not empowered by the resurrection. And God has come. But God has come. When you were dead and raised you up, he's made you alive. You're not spiritually dead. You are spiritually alive. Your spirit is alive and can commune with God, the Holy One, who can interact with you, who speaks to you, who loves you. You can feel his presence. You can know him. You can have power over sin. Jesus was raised. You were raised with him. We were raised with him. You're not spiritually dead, trying to just obey a bunch of laws. You're spiritually alive. The law's written on your heart. You are defined by resurrection power, friend. He has made you alive in Christ. Oh, if we would lean into that. But then it goes on. It says, and seated us with him in heavenly places. Made us alive. Raised us up. And now he seated us with him in heavenly places. That means you're not just defined by resurrection power. You're defined by royal authority. Come on, it just keeps getting better and better if you lean into the gospel. It gets good every day. Defined by royal authority. Now, what, what is this? It can kind of feel ethereal. I'm seated with Christ, heavenly places. What, what is this talking about? And just look right above at Ephesians 1, verse 20 and 21, because it puts the meat and the skin on the bones of what it means to be raised with Christ. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So you're right there. Because the scripture says you were raised with Christ. So wherever Jesus is right here, that's, that's where you are. Raised, us with, uh, raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Come on, church. So that has implications for our life because it has implications for how we pray. It has implications for how we pray because you have been raised with Christ above all authority, all rule. What did Jesus tell his disciples? All authority has been in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then what did he do? He said, here you go. He said, here you go. Let's go do this together. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And you've been raised with Christ. That has implications for how you pray. I remember one time uh, being a part of this, this prayer uh, meeting and that people were praying for one another. Maybe you've encountered this with our prayer and prophetic team. And, and what happened was this guy was praying. We're praying for an area of physical healing. And he said, I command in the name of Jesus to this knee, be healed. And I was like, uh, who do you think you are? 
trying to command God like that. And it's that dialogue. He says, no, man, I'm not commanding God. Are you crazy? Like, he's God. I'm just a man. He said, I'm commanding the knee to be healed. And he said, God has given us authority. We've been seated in, in heavenly places with Christ. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. He has shared authority with me. And I have authority. I'm not commanding God. I'm with God commanding the need to be healed. And I was like, oh, okay. So when we pray, we're not just, Lord, please, you know, if maybe you thought, if you, you know, we know you can do it, but you probably don't want to. No, we pray, we petition, we intercede, but then we go to that place in the name of Jesus. We just stand with the agreement and power that, that we have in Christ as sons and daughters. And I say, be healed in Jesus' name. And I'm going to get into the reality. Sometimes people aren't healed. Sometimes they are. And I think that if the people of God would internalize that they are defined by royal authority, that we would see more of his authority demonstrated in, in our city. Amen? So let's lean into it. It keeps going. It gets better and better. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love this one. This was wrecking me this week. That you and I were defined by future grace. You know what's in your future? I know it. I know it. God told me. Grace. 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 The power of God to do the will of God. Grace. Grace. I was having this conversation with Jaira. Yesterday was his 10th birthday. And we celebrated. It was great. Okay. And we were reading this. And I said, you know what this means, Jaira? You know what God has for you in your 10th year on planet Earth? Grace. What about year 11? The coming ages. The next age. 11. Grace. 15. Grace. When you're going to high school, guess what's going to meet you there? Grace. What about when you go to college, Jai? Grace. You get married someday. Grace. You have kids someday. Grace. You get a job. Grace. When you're 30, guess what? Oh, man. what, what the, the world's going to be so crazy. It's probably going to be 10,000 messages coming at us over and over and over. But guess what's going to be there for you? Grace. Because you're defined by grace. What about when you're 70? Grace. 150. Grace. 1,000. Grace. By then we'll be with the Lord. But guess what? In the coming ages, he will show his immeasurable riches of kindness and grace towards you. 50 million. Grace. Grace. And into eternity, it's going to be grace, 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 grace. And when you've had enough, more grace. You're going to be undone and controlled in the best possible way by the kindness of God in grace just washing over you over and over and over and over and over. Grace. You know, my wife and I, we're, we're believing God's called us to plant a church. Right, we shared that a couple weeks ago in Garland, Rowlett, Lake City's area. In many days, I wake up and I'm like, what the heck am I thinking? Who do we think we are? 
this is crazy. This is, this is wild. What, why are we doing this? And God takes me back to this verse, and he says, you know what's going to be there for you? Grace. When you walk through that door, guess what's on the other side? Grace. Grace. We're defined by future grace. But it's not just the future, because verse 8 is going to rewind it. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So your future... Defined by future grace, we're also defined by past grace. By grace, you have been saved. This is huge. If you're in Christ, your identity is not defined by what you have done, whether good or bad. It's defined by grace, by his grace, by his mercy, by his grace in that moment. This is what it says, that you're not defined by your own doing. And this is really important because this world that we live in and even within the church, everyone's trying to define themselves. And what the Bible says is that you can't define yourself. You can allow yourself to be defined, but you can't define yourself because it's not a result of works, good or bad. Grace grace. It's the gift of God's grace. We have one more. So we said mercy, defined by mercy, defined by love, defined by resurrection power, defined by royal authority, defined by future grace, defined by past grace. And the last verse 10, where we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are defined by God's design. You're defined by God's design. Now, it is the way of the world to define ourselves in comparison to others. I know none of y'all had done that before, but what I'm saying is that it's the way of the world to define ourselves in comparison to others. And guess what the result is? Your mind, your will, your emotions, you're controlled by insecurity. Shame, pride, it's the result. It's the result when we are defined in, by comparison. When we define our marriage by, in comparison to other people. Our parenting, our job, our talents, our gifting. It's a hopeless situation because God's made each person uniquely, given unique gifts we can't be defined in comparison to one another. You're defined by God's special and unique purpose and design for your life. Look, when a runner runs or when you drive on the highway, what happens if you stare to the left? What happens if you stare to the right? You go left, you go right. And the next thing you know, you are running or driving in someone else's lane, not your lane. There's too many people trying to be defined in comparison to others, and they're running in someone else's lane. God has given you a lane. Run in it. And what's the scripture say? The person that we look to? Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter 
of our faith. He's the one we're being conformed to. He's the one we're being transformed to be like. Jesus is a prophetic picture of your destiny. He's a prophetic picture of your destiny. Look at him. Not to the right, not to the left. Look at him. We're defined by God's design. So friends, can we put, put the, all of them up there on the screen? I want you to look at this. Because whatever or whoever you allow to define you will control you. Will. But we, as the people of God, have the opportunity to be defined by his mercy. I hope you're seeing it. I hope you're receiving it today, that you defined by his mercy, defined by his unconditional love, defined by resurrection power, defined by royal authority, defined by future grace, past grace, defined by his design for your life. Oh, that that definition would govern, would control, would dominate our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings. Let it be Lord, in every situation, oh, I walk in and you know, there's a lot of problems in the future. I don't know what's going on there, but my mind and my emotions are just undone by the love of God, by grace that's going to meet me here. So how do we activate this? Just a few more minutes. How do we activate this? Because this is a lot of theology, okay? It's a lot of theology given to you, but how do we put it into practice? And I'm so glad you asked. Because... I have a few simple ways I want to just suggest to you. The first is if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, believe in Jesus today. After this service, when we dismiss, come down forward to the front and someone wants to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus. You can, second, you can meditate on this passage this week. Just read it, meditate on it, pray it, read it out loud, meditate on it. Say, Lord, do these things in me, declare it. Using the renewed mind guide. Practically. Seriously. We put these together. This will help you uh, acknowledge toxic thoughts in your life about your identity. And to renounce them. And to repent of them. And to lean into who God says you are. And another one that I want to share with you is declaring your identity in Christ. We have some of these. They'll be available at the welcome desk. You can get it online at our, our toolbox, which is uh, encounterjesus.life toolbox. And it has 50 identity statements straight from the scripture. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something crazy and weird, very weird. But here's the deal. Some people, when, I, when I've done this before, they're like, man, that's so weird or whatever. I'm like, I'm okay with being weird. I want to be free. Okay? If being weird helps me walk in freedom, sign me up. I want to be free. And this is what I did in the, for a season of my life. As I look in the mirror. And I look myself in the eyes in the mirror. And I would take some of these statements. And I would say, you're a son of God. You are loved. You are defined by his grace. You are holy and dearly loved. And I would declare it over myself. 
We spend a lot of time in front of the mirror getting ready for other things. Why not get your spirit ready to encounter 5,000 messages that are going to come at you in that day so you can stand strong and say, I'm a child of God. God loves me. He's with me. He's for me. He's not against me. I am his. Or you can shout them out loud. Yeah. One time in ADS, we came out here, and over 635, we just shouted. Loved it. I am loved by God. And it echoed across the apartments, right? Shout it. There was a period in my life where I was super insecure, and I just chose to lean into this. And what God gave me to declare was that I am blessed, and I am blessed to be a blessing. And I was shy, and I was insecure, and afraid of what people thought about me or whatever. And each day in time of the Lord, I just said, I am blessed because God has told Abraham, told me that I've blessed you to be a blessing. And so thank you, Lord. I am blessed. And anyone who interacts with me today is going to be blessed because you have blessed me to be a blessing. And I started to do it. And one day I was getting a burrito at Alfredo's burrito. And I asked the guy, hey, man, how can I pray for you? And he said, I don't know. I said, how about I pray that God blesses your business? He's like, sure. So I said, in Jesus' name, God bless this business. I came back the next week, and I said, hey, man, you remember me? I was like, what's God done? He said, we've had blessing on our business. And he like listed off four things. They had like a lease go through and money, all this stuff. I was like, come on. Declare it. So now we're closing. We're going to worship and I want to challenge you. This morning, if God were doing roll call and he were calling out your name, how would you define yourself? How would you respond? If you're in Christ, the scriptures are very clear about how God defines you. Do you agree with him? Do you agree with him? And what would happen if, if I, if we, if us as a family allowed God's mercy, his love, his resurrection power, his royal authority, his future grace, his past grace, his design to define us? Imagine your emotions being dominated, being controlled by the mercy of God, by the power of God. Not by circumstances, but by his mercy. Imagine your emotions or your thoughts when you think about the future and the what ifs being dominated and controlled because you've been defined by future grace. Future grace rather than fear and security. You know, the church in Ephesus actually struggled with this. And we have an opportunity to do it different. Because 30 years later, Jesus appeared to a guy named John. And he gave him a prophetic word about the church in Ephesus. And you know what he said? Because somewhere over the years, they had gone to church, they had done it, gone through the deal, 
good works, had some good theology. And somewhere along the line, they slipped. And Jesus said this as a warning to the church in Ephesus. I have this against you. You abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Somewhere along the line, you thought you were mostly good. You just needed a little touch of me. And you forgot that you were dead, you were separated. And I came and I loved you and I saved you and you were so undone with my love. You were so overwhelmed by my love and you lived from that place. And the years of life have piled on and somewhere along the line we can abandon our first love. So how do we not do that? We go after these things that we talked about, renewing our mind, staying in that place. Every day, Lord, I need you. I'm broken, I'm lost without you. Declaring our identity in Christ, never moving far from the gospel, never moving past it, declaring it. I was this, but God, over and over, going back to the gospel, God's calling us back to this place as a church. 30 years from now, Jesus isn't gonna give a prophetic word to Antioch and say, you abandon your first love. It's gonna be a different word. So let's pray as we just respond to the Lord in this. God, we love you. Would you help us love you? Would you give us the grace to allow ourselves to be defined by you? In Jesus' name.